Hey everybody, I'm Paul Valley, and this is a payoff pitch on Fanimal Radio brought to you by DNL Window Tinting. DNL Window Tinting, we put the shades on the sun. And welcome to our second off-season episode of the payoff pitch. And boys and girls, we actually have something to talk about today. Uh, since the last time we spoke about a month ago, the Orioles have gone to the winter meetings. They've traded two away, uh, they've traded away, excuse me, two of the most popular players on the club, and they made a couple of selections in the Major League phase of the Rule 5 draft, and we're going to talk about all of that today later on in the show. I have Luke Seiler, who's, going to, who's a scout, who's going to talk to us about the players that the Orioles got in the Dylan Bundy and Jonathan VR trades, along with the Rule 5 picks. So, a lot to talk about today, and we're going to dive right in. I was a big proponent of the Orioles signing Jonathan VR to an extension this offseason. He's 28 years old. He was, in my opinion, the best player on the ball club last year. Hit 274, hit 24 home runs, 33 doubles, scored 111 runs. He stole 40 bases. This was a guy who I felt like could really help the ball club even as they get back into contention. The Orioles felt differently, especially when you consider the fact that his arbitration number is supposed to go up to $10.4 million this year as projected by MLB Trade Rumors. So the Orioles, they went ahead and they actually uh, put in outright waivers for him a, about a week before the, the uh, deadline to get him signed or non-tendered. And it looked like they were just going to get they were just gonna get rid of him without getting anything in return. But in the 11th hour, Mike Elias pulled a rabbit out of his hat. And even though this guy wasn't a top prospect for the Marlins, he got left-handed pitcher Easton Lucas from the Marlins. Uh, this is a guy who was drafted in the 14th round in 2014. I'm sorry, excuse me, 2019. He was just drafted in the 14th round this past year. Uh, again, a left-handed pitcher out of Pepperdine University. Uh, collegiately, he was 10-11 to 429 ERA in 44 games, including 30 starts. Uh, between the Gulf Coast League and the New York Penn League in 13 games, including nine starts, he was 1-2 and two with a 363 ERA. So a little bit better numbers uh, in his professional debut. And look, the Orioles got something basically for nothing uh, with VR because they were going to let him go anyway, and then he could have signed with anybody he wanted. So to get even a fringe prospect from another team is a win for the Orioles. I'm going to address a lot of ire from the fan base towards this trade and the next trade that we're going to talk about But after I talk about it. Uh, and that's Dylan Bundy traded to the Angels for four minor league pitchers. Uh, you're looking at Isaac Matson, Kyle Bradish, Zach Peek, and Kyle Bernovich. Uh, Matson, he could have a spot in the Orioles' bullpen depending on spring training this year. Uh, he had a little bit of time at AAA last year. Most of his time was at AA. Uh, this is a guy that could help them in the bullpen this year, depending on how well he performs in spring training. Kyle Bradish is the only um, top 30 prospect that the Orioles acquired in this deal. Uh, coming in at number 21 in that Angels system. Look, Dylan Bundy, we all know, drafted fourth overall in 2011. He was supposed to be the second coming for the Orioles. His fastball was touching, you know, the upper 90s as an 18-year-old kid in high school. And then he had Tommy John surgery. And then he had the uh, calcification in his throwing shoulder. And suddenly he went from throwing 98-99 to 89-92. to sometimes topping out at 94, and he also kept that fastball elevated, and when the fastball's, you know, in the low 90s, elevated and flat, he'd give up a lot of home runs, and in his career, Bundy was 38-45 and 45 with a 4.67 ERA, including 7-14 and 14 with a 4.79 ERA in 2019, which was an improvement uh, from 2018 when he led the majors in home runs allowed with 45 and pitched to a plus-5 ERA. You know, you're sad to see a guy like Bundy go. He's going to be 27 on opening day. And the Orioles, they traded from a point of weakness. They only had four uh, legitimate rotation spots locked up before trading away Bundy. Now they have three. They did get a couple of guys in the Rule 5 draft that we'll talk about in a little bit. But, you know, they, they, they traded from an area of weakness. That was a, that was a spot where the Orioles need to be bringing in starting pitching not sending it out. But here's the thing, and this is why the Orioles did it. Dylan Bundy, he was due to make $5.7 million. Now, nobody came out and said, you haven't heard really any pundits talking about it, but nearly $6 million for a guy who's going to pitch to a close to 5 ERA and is projected to be 
the number one or number two starting pitcher in your rotation. Those numbers don't speak to a one or two in a rotation, and $6 million for a guy like that isn't, isn't something that a rebuilding ball club needs to be doing. On top of that, the Orioles have a lot of pitching coming up. And look, you can never have too much starting p pitching. It's a priority for all 30 major league teams. But Dylan Bunny and Jonathan VR did not factor into the rebuild. You look at VR, uh, he's going to turn 29 next year. By the time the Orioles are good again, he'll be in his early 30s, early to mid 30s, and really won't have a spot on the ball club, especially at you know 10 to 11 million dollars. And Bundy is kind of a what you see is what you get kind of guy. His 4.67 career ERA is about the type of pitcher that he's going to be now. All the power in the world to him. If he goes out to L.A. and pitches out there and pitches well, he's going to be the number four, number five starter in that Angels rotation. And he'll have a legitimate shot at a postseason berth with that team. You know, they, they have had a pretty big offseason just by signing Anthony Rendon to that monster contract out there. He's going to get a lot of run support. And it's a bit, of a bit bigger ballparks out in the AL West where he's going to be pitching more than half of his games this year. So... The Angels could do more with Dylan Bundy than the Orioles could. It just didn't make sense for, for guys to be here um, that didn't factor into the rebuild at such a high cost. You know, and There's a guy who I'm friends with on Twitter. His name's Tom Latham, and he's posted a few times on Twitter uh, wondering why the Orioles are trading 26- to 28-year-old major league players for mid-20s minor league players. And... These are players that, you know, the, the Orioles, their whole thing is they want to get younger and they want to get better. And you do that by acquiring as many prospects as you can. And if, if just Isaac Matson pans out in this deal with Bundy, you win that. Because that could be a guy that could be in your bullpen for five, six years if he pans out. Bundy, like I said, what you see is what you get. And the Orioles just didn't have much that they could do with him. So... We're going to move on from that. Uh, in the Rule 5 draft, the Orioles took pitchers. Brandon Bailey from the Astros with the second overall pick in that draft. Uh, then they took Michael Rucker with, uh, with a uh, second-round pick. You're looking at Brandon Bailey. He pitched exclusively a double-A last year. He had a 330 ERA in 22 games, 17 starts. He automatically becomes a rotation candidate, and he's never pitched in the majors. He only has... Um, you know, 22 games at double-A. He's never pitched above double-A, but the Orioles need starting pitching. And if he can come in there and get guys out for five innings, they'll take it. Look, every, everybody knows that the Orioles are going to be a bad baseball team this year. There's no getting around it. They're going to lose 100 games for the third straight season. But they need people to go out there and try and get out so they can try and be as competitive as a 108-loss team can be. The other pitcher, Michael Rucker from the Cubs, um, look, he made 26 starts. All, all 26 of his outings in 2018 at AA were starts. He pitched almost entirely in relief in 2019 between AA and AAA. Uh, he got one start last year out of 36 outings. He had a 418 ERA in those 36 games, though he had a pretty rough month of April and really settled down after that. So... The Orioles are looking at possibly having a rotation and a bullpen candidate. Now, last year in the Rule 5 draft, they took two players. They took Richie Martin. They took Drew Jackson. Drew Jackson got three at-bats for the Orioles and was sent back to the Dodgers and had a pretty substandard season for AA out there. Richie Martin, as we all know, played in over 120 games, primarily at shortstop for the Orioles. You know, he hit over 200. It took a 286 second half to get him up over 200. Um, he's probably going to be at Norfolk this year. Uh, so the Orioles, again, taking two, uh, two players in the Rule 5 draft, and one of them is going to be in that rotation probably, and we, that's probably going to be Brandon Bailey, the other one, Michael Rucker. If he sticks around, will stick around most likely in the bullpen or as a swingman, we'll see. Usually you don't see two Rule 5 drafts stay at, on a big league ball club for the length of the season, but you also usually don't see a team lose 308 games in three years. So, uh, And then... I just want to talk briefly about the winter warm-up before we get Luke Seiler onto the show. The winter warm-up was one of the, um, what they say is going to be a, a fair amount of replacement events in place of FanFest. Now, there was a lot of anger towards the Orioles canceling FanFest. FanFest has been 
you know, a main cog in the Orioles offseason, get people excited for spring training. It's every year in Jan at the end of January, usually at the convention center. Every now and again, it's uh, elsewhere, but it's almost always at the convention center. And the Orioles canceled it this year, and instead they did the winter warm-up this past Saturday. A thousand fans showed up, which is a far cry from the, usually the twelve to 18,000 that show up at FanFest, but... Look, they weren't getting even 12,000 fans out of FanFest. If they had gotten 5,000, they may have been lucky, considering, like I said, this team has lost 308 games in three years. It was raining, it was cold, but the fans showed up. There was a fan forum, and in that fan forum, one fan said to Elias that the Nationals winning a World Series was a slap in the face. And, look, I get it. I get it, all right. One, the, the Nationals are suing the Orioles for, for hundreds of millions of dollars over this massive dispute. Uh, we won't get into that. I won't bore you with the details. Uh, then you watch this team, and it's in the same market as the Orioles, go out and spend hundreds of millions of dollars on these pitchers and position players, while the Orioles say they just aren't in big, of enough, big enough of a market to spend that kind of money, yet they have the lion's share of ownership with Masson. So they... If the Nationals have the money, the, um, the Orioles have the money. Nationals owner is a very rich man, and he very much so wants to win and has that competitive fire, and so he's willing to do what it takes. Not saying the Orioles' ownership doesn't have that competitive desire, but look, let's just be honest. In, since 1993, the Orioles, in 98-99, they had arguably the highest payrolls in Major League Baseball, and then Peter Angelos got burned by that Albert Bell contract and the Scott Erickson contract and Brian Roberts and Nick Markakis and, you know, not Nick Markakis, excuse me, but Brian Roberts. And the list goes on and on and on. Oh, and the Chris Davis contract, for that matter. Uh, so I, I can understand why he's hesitant to spend that money, even though he's not, you know, all reports say that he's in declining health, so his sons are running the ball club. It just doesn't make sense for the Orioles to spend a ton of money right now, not while... They're rebuilding, starting the, the franchise basically from scratch. They're not going to spend a ton of money. Now, if they get to the point where they're competitive and then they aren't spending money, then, you know, we can revisit that topic. Um, look, you got to hang in there. We all knew what this rebuild was about. We all knew that we were going to have to start from scratch and watch this team get built from the ground up. And the bottom line with this team is it's always darkest before the dawn. And you hate to use cliches like that, but that's just the way it is. This ball club is going to get worse before they get better. And, you know, go, going into this offseason, towards the end of the regular season last, last season, I was saying I think that they can, we can expect them to win close to 70 games. Well, that was anticipating Dylan Bundy being in the rotation, Jonathan Villar being in the lineup, and Ryan Mountcastle starting from day one, and Austin Hayes continuing to progress and seeing the natural progression of, teams, of the team. But then they trade away Bundy, they trade away VR, Mountcastle probably started in the minor leagues for at least a month or at least three weeks, and you're looking at three guys for the rotation right now. It, it, it's, I didn't understand when I had John Mioli on the show at the end of September why he thought the team would take a step back, but I totally understand it now. Uh, so j just hang in there, guys. It's going to get better. I promise you it's going to get better. This rebuild is going to work because it has to work. I don't know where else they go if it doesn't work. So... Just hang in there because, you know, calmer seas are at. With that being said, we're going to get a word from our sponsor, DNL Window Tinting. When we come back, we're going to have Luke Siler join the show, and he's going to talk to us about a number of prospects that the Orioles just got into their, into their farm system. So stay tuned. We'll have Luke Siler after the break. In your home, sunshine can stream in through windows, bringing a cheerful feel and warmness to any room. Sometimes, though, it brings in too much warmth, even harmful ultraviolet light and solar energy that can raise energy bills, drain the color from your fabrics and furnishings, and cast a blinding glare on your television or computer screens. DNL Window Tinting can protect your home from all of this while saving you money on energy bills. Start saving today by calling DNL at 410-941-2942. That's 410-941-2942. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Payoff Pitch. Once again, I'm Paul Valley, and joining me is a prospect analyst from OriolesHangout.com. We have Luke Seiler on the show. Luke, thanks for joining the show today. Thanks, Paul. Uh, we're glad to have you. I do want to tell you we were uh, in the first half of the show, we were talking about the Bundy trade, the VR trade, the Rule 5 uh, pick, and a lot of fans are up in arms about trading guys like Bundy and VR 
Uh, my argument is these guys weren't going to help with the rebuild anyway, and they probably helped more in getting prospects in return. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of the reality of the situation. Um, the Orioles aren't going to make the playoffs in 2020. So if they can move the salary, um, hopefully save the funds for when they are competitive and bring back some young talent, uh, that's going to be the best option for them as, as much as it sucks as a fan. Well, and right now it seems like it's the only option for them. But when you, when you think about the fact that VR only had one more year of team control and he's getting up towards 30. Bundy hasn't been the pitcher they expect him to be. and His salary continues to go up while he pitches, you know, medi- mediocre at best. They really didn't have any other, other recourse than to try and trade these guys and get something for them. Yeah, that's true. And, and with Villar, I mean, I think what's on the backlash was teams didn't value him around the league the way that fans maybe valued him. Um, they looked at him like, oh, this is a guy got was worth four war um, last year. You know, the Van Graaff's advanced stat war. Um, but teams aren't paying guys based on what they did last year. They're paying guys on what they think they're going to do going forward. And I don't think teams project him as that kind of guy going forward. Well, yeah, when you consider the fact he's been in the league for six or seven years and had his career year at 28, I can understand why they wouldn't value somebody who's you know pushing 30, which is old in Major League Baseball these days. So I totally get that. And speaking of VR, let's just dive right into it then. The Orioles traded him to the Miami Marlins for left-handed pitcher Easton Lucas, who was taken in the 14th round out of Pepperdine uh, back in 2019, just this past year. Uh, pitched fairly well. Um, in the Gulf Coast League and the New York Penn League. What can you tell our followers about Easton Lucas uh, as far as prospect status and what the Orioles can realistically expect out of him? Okay, so Easton Lucas, that's not a huge return. I mean, he's not a top prospect by any means. Um, but he is a little bit more interesting than you would, than you would think from a 13th-round pick in the draft. He could be something. Um, he's six foot four. He's a wiry guy with a good frame. He's already 23. So, you know, it's, you have to be careful about how much you can project and strength or velocity increases, but, um, the Orioles pitcher development under Chris Holt, who was with the Astros before he came to the Orioles has had some success in getting more velocity out of guys. So that's something to watch for. But right now he's upper 90 or up eighties, low nineties. The fastball has some some riding um, arm side action on it that helps it play a little bit above the velocity. Yeah, he's a four pitch guy. He none of the off speed pitches are particularly great, but it's an average slider. The changeup might get the average, and he throws it out of a high three four three quarter arm slot. Um, so basically, he's kind of a player development. Um, a player development project um, right now. He doesn't have the velocity to really profile as a back end starter. If he could take up a couple miles per hour on, on all his pitches, um, he would look pretty good as a back end starter. Um, then you, you know, maybe he goes to the pen to try to get the velocity to play up, but that's going to be a decision that the Orioles player development has to make with him. But when you look at the guy um, with his frame, his athleticism, his, you would expect him to throw and his mechanics you'd expect him to throw harder than he does but he kind of short arms it um so maybe there's something they can do to to get a little bit more velocity out of him well certainly and and chris holt and the orioles have um just based on this past year they have a propensity for getting more out of their pitchers as far as spin rate, velocity, uh, and the strikeout numbers were a direct result of that this year. They, they were up across the board in the Orioles' farm system. Definitely. So, all right, and then you look at the, the Dylan Bundy trade, and the Orioles just traded a, a – I said in the first half of the show, they traded from an area of weakness as it is. With Dylan Bundy in hand, they had four starters for a five-man rotation, which is not ideal, to say the least. And then they trade Dylan Bundy. They got Isaac Matson, Kyle Bradish, Zach Peake, 
and Kyle Bernovich from the Angels. Only Kyle Bradish was ranked in the top 30 prospects for the Angels, coming in at number 21. Isaac Matson seems like the only guy who could really potentially help the Orioles this coming season. What can you tell us about the prospects that the Orioles has got for Dylan Bundy? Does Isaac Matson have a legitimate shot at making the team out of spring training? All right, so I'll start with Matson. Um, he he's a guy that you know not a lot of people knew about before 2019, but he just really tore it up in the minors. He he pitched at high A, double A, and triple A. So he made it all the way to triple A, and he had he had like the second best strikeout rate in all of the minor leagues for a guy with 70 plus innings. So this is a guy that's missing a ton of bats. He's not walking a lot of guys. And he was extremely dominant in the minors. He's he's a reliever. He's been a reliever pretty much his whole career. He's a reliever in college when he pitched for Pitt. Um, the Angels tried him as a starter one year, but um, they put him back in relief after that. Didn't really his strikeout rate dropped pretty drastically, so they put him back in the pen. But he'll give you multiple innings, and he's he's a four pitch guy, so he's not your typical you know fastball slider reliever. Um, he's got a curveball and a changeup as well as the slider and the fastball. His fastball just usually sits in the low 90s, which isn't really, you know, isn't that impressive for a reliever. But it's got it's got big spin and it has big vertical action. So it has the backspin that causes the pitch to not to rise, but to fall much less than the typical fastball. So guys swing under it. He gets lots of swings and misses, especially up in the zone. Get some arm side light. And, you know, the off-speed stuff, there, is, there isn't really a lot there that you can look at and say, okay, this guy is going to be a late inning or a closer or anything like that. But he's near ready. Um, if not out of spring training, I would imagine seeing him in Baltimore by the All-Star break. And he's, you know, he, he has a good chance to be a solid relief piece for the Orioles pretty soon. Well, and I, I said in the early parts of the show, I think it's a win for the Orioles if even if it's just Matson that pans out from this trade. If you get five, six solid years out of Matson in your bullpen, and he's a main piece of your bullpen, I think they win this trade. Um, now, a lot of these other guys, uh, Zach Pete, Kyle Burnovich, never really heard of. Um, we'll get to them in a second. But Kyle Bradish, he's another intriguing guy, the number 21 prospect uh, in the Angels organization. What can you tell us about Bradish? So, you know, one of the things that you'll, you'll hear me repeat over and over when I'm, when I'm talking about these players that they acquired is, is the type of spin they have on the fastball. They, they have a near what you'd call a vertical spin axis on the fastball. So that's like backspin. Um, which causes the ball to rise as it's coming towards the plate compared to an average fastball. And that's something the Orioles player development and front office is seeking out because the ability to change a hitter's eye level, to have a fastball that, that rises compared to the average fastball, and then a curveball or some other pitch that drops off the plate uh, compared to the average curveball um, is what is, is, seems to be the most effective way to get swings and misses in the majors right now. So, so to talk about Bradish, the, the comparison I make is, is Mike Ballman. So Mike Ballman's guy who really ju jumped up Orioles prospect list this year, the, the new player development team did a lot with him. He was just like a 90 to 94 mile per hour guy. Um, you know, had a little bit of hop on his fastball, but you know, the re release was inconsistent. He cut the pitch sometimes had a good slider, but nothing else really. And, you know, in poor command or below average command, Bradish is the same guy, maybe a little bit better than Bauman was before 2019. Um, he's, he's got, he's got a fastball sits in the low nineties. He'll bump it up to 95, 96 at times. He has an extreme over the top delivery. It's almost like a, think of like a trebuchet, <laughs> you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's straight over the top. Um, the, the only, the, probably the best comparison is maybe a guy like, Oliver Drake, um, if you remember when he pitched for the Orioles, the way he releases the ball, that's the closest thing I can think of in the majors right now to it. Um, so it gives it some deception. It gives it 
uh, something, a look that hitters don't usually see. Um, and he also has a 12 to six curve that falls off the plate. Um, it's an above average, maybe a plus pitch at maturity. So that's his bread and butter, the fastball and the curveball. He also has a slider that will flash and, but his changeup is really kind of behind. It's not anywhere close to being a major league pitch yet, but I could see him getting in the Orioles player development system and basically doing what they did with Ballman last year, which is, um, adjusting the release of the fastball to get less, less inconsistent on the release and more, more backspin. Um, so he'll gain velocity, uh, ability to command the pitch and also, you know, increase its vertical movement. So I think that's a real possibility for Bradish, who, who's a guy who, you know, is a little bit inconsistent with the way he releases the ball. He sometimes cuts it. Um, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of upside with Bradish. A lot of people are projecting him as a purely relief guy. And if he does have to go to the pen, I, I think he profiles there. So you have that to fall back on. But I think there's more upside as a starter with his, you know, he's six foot four. He's a big body guy. He's got, a, he's, he's got an athletic delivery. I, I think there's more chance for him to start than people are giving him credit for. And now with Kyle Bradish, I believe he is the only – he and Matson of those four pitchers, they're the only two with pro ball experience, right? Yeah. Right. So – and that was just this past year he got, he got his first taste of professional baseball. So when we're talking about a guy like Kyle Bradish, it's, a lot of the stuff you're saying sounds really good, especially when you make the comparison to Michael Ballman. He took a huge jump, especially when he got to Bowie uh, this past season. But we have to kind of curb the enthusiasm here because – He's still only he's still a ways off. He just faced professional hitting for the first time in his career this past summer. So we're not talking about a guy that's going to be ready this year and next year. It's probably three, four years down the line, right? Yeah, it's going to be a little while. It's um, maybe he'll be in double. He'll start in double A next year. Um, so I'm. It's not out of the realm of possibility for a September call up, but they're not going to push him. So. Um, 2021 at the earliest, probably, and then most likely 2022. Well, yeah, he did pitch in high A this past year, so double A would make sense to be the next logical place for him to go. Um, Still, there's so many other guys ahead of him in the pecking order, like Ballman and Dean Kramer, Keegan Aiken, Bruce Zimmerman, just to name a few, that are going to get that shot in Baltimore before he does. But it's an intriguing prospect, to say the least, Um, considering that the Orioles traded who was supposed to be the best pitcher and one of the best, one of the better pitching prospects in franchise history for um, Bradish. So now Zach Peake and Kyle Burnovich, not a lot of tape on these guys right now. They've only pitched in college. They both um, just got drafted in the past year, so they don't have any kind of pro ball experience. What can you tell us about Peake and Burnovich and what can we expect from them? Well, fortunately for my uh, draft preparation, I've, I've watched, more than one start from each of them in college. So I kind of have an idea of what they, what they bring to the table peak a little bit less because um, apparently his stuff really ticked up late in the season. And I only saw early season um, starts from him, but I have a good feel for both of them. So let's start with Zach peak who, who of the guys that came over in the Bundy trade, um, he's, he's probably has the best chance to stick as a starter. Okay. Oh. He, he has the most starter traits. Like a lot of people will throw Bradish and Bronovich or Brnovich um, straight into the pen. Like that's, that's generally the, the consensus out there. I think Bradish may has a little, little more chance to start than he's given credit for, but um, peak is the guy that really profiles like a starter. He's, he's got a starter's mechanics. He's got a starter's frame. Um, you know, he gets to his velocity fairly easy. Um, when I saw him, he was was just 88 to 92 miles per hour. He threw a two-seam, a four-seam, a, a curveball, um, and a changeup. But later in the year, I, I got reports from people that he his last few starts that he sat 93 to 95 and that he bumped 97 in, in the conference tournament. So... 
I I'm not a hundred percent sure about those velocity reports, but they are from people that I would generally trust. Um, and I think it, you know, he's been up to 95 in the past and summer ball and things like that. So I don't think it's completely out of the question. Um, he's, he's got a high three quarters release. And so he gets some of that, what I was talking about vertical movement on the fastball when he throws the four seam, what I would kind of expect is the Orioles to kind of move him away from the two seam fastball. Um, I think you'll see maybe strikeout numbers increase even from his college days um, when they do that. Uh, and his best current pitch is, is a changeup, which he throws with good arm speed. It has good velocity separation from his fastball and is, you know, is a, you know, a future above average pitch. Um, so if, if you look down the developmental path, it's, it's a ways, but he is, he has the building blocks for a solid, you know, number four starter, if everything goes right, you know, averaging in the low to mid nineties with the fastball, you know, 93, 94 with a fastball, average curveball, above average change up, good mechanics, you know, can throw strikes, command the ball a little bit. So he's the real, um, you know, if you want to look at a guy that is most likely to stay in a rotation, peak is your guy. Well, yeah, and, we, and you mentioned that his best pitch is probably his changeup. And we look at what the changeup did for John Means this past year. He kind of came out of nowhere and finished, you know, in the top three for rookie of the year voting this year. I believe he finished second uh, in voting. And that was because his changeup was so devastating. So it's nice to hear that somebody else in the organization has the potential to have that kind of pitch and has what seems like nice projectability for a future rotation spot. Yeah, I mean, it's a, there's a lot of development work between him being a major leaguer and now. Um, but he definitely has that upside. Absolutely. And what about Burnovich? You, you're thinking he's more destined for a bullpen row, role once uh, he finally makes his – if he ever makes his way to Baltimore? <laughs> Probably, mo- most likely. Um, he um, He's a guy that, uh, you know, everybody that follows – you know, follows the draft pretty hard, knew his name going into 2019. Um, he was probably the mo- one of, if not the most dominant statistical pitchers, starting pitchers in college baseball in 2018. Um, he had something like a 1.7 ERA and like, like a ridiculous, like, like five or six K to walk ratio. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he, he was just nasty and, he didn't perform quite as well this spring. So he fell a little bit, but he was in discussion for, you know, day one of the draft, you know, top 50 to a hundred picks. Um, but then ended up falling a little bit because he came out this spring and the velocity was down a little bit and, uh, you know, and the performance was down too. But so what he throws, he, he was mostly 88 to 91 with his fastball, which, like you know, is, is not great fastball velocity for a right-hander. Um, he's not particularly projectable. Um, you know, he is tall. He's 6'4". Um, maybe he could add a little bit of, of strength, but, you know, you don't, really, you don't really see yourself projecting a lot of velocity there. That's one of the reasons people think he's destined for the pen, that, hey, he needs to go to the pen so he can go max effort and have that tick up. But what he does have, um, he has what may have been, you know, it's definitely up there with the best pitch in the in the 2019 draft. Um, he throws a pitch that his teammates called the alien pitch. I mean, it's, it's, it's a weird pitch. I, I don't think it's really a pitch that anyone throws besides him. It's like a double knuckle, knuckle curve. Um, You'll see it getting called a slider, a lot of outlets, because it has slider velocity. Uh, It's 82 to 85, even when his fastball is only, you know, 87 to 91. So it has the kind of separation and velocity from his fastball that a slider would have, but it doesn't move at all like a slider. It, it It has true 12 to 6 downer action sharp break and but he throws it as hard as if he throws it like a slide as hard as a slider and it moves like a curveball um 
it's at least a plus pitch. It may be a double plus pitch. Um, and it's definitely in conversation of the best pitches available in the 2019 draft. So um, he's probably going to have to go to the pen. The changeup, some people have called the changeup above average, but when I've seen it, I, I don't really agree with that. I think it, I think it's, it flattens out on the plate, and I don't think it's going to play like that in pro ball. So yeah, I, I think he's I think he's destined for the pen. Um, your wish list for him is is turning into maybe a guy like I'm not sure if anyone's familiar with his name, but James Karinchak from from the Indians, who was a was a was a starter out of college that sat 90 to 92 with a really good curveball. And the Indians threw him in the pen, and now he's he's 97 miles per hour with just like a double plus curveball out of the pen, and he he struck out like 21 guys per nine innings in the minors this year and made his major league debut. So that's kind of he has the similar building blocks to that kind of guy. Hopefully, you throw him in the pen, you can clean up some of the mechanical stuff. He's a little bit wonky with his delivery. He's a little like stutter step um, coming down the mound. He closes himself off with his front foot. So maybe there's some things you can do delivery-wise to get a little more velocity there. And then you just count on that just dominant pitch um, to play off the fastball. So, I mean, there's some upside there, especially in the pen, um, when you have anyone that has that kind of dominant pitch and has had the kind of success he's had over three years in the NCAA. Um, There is some upside. And – you know, they may try to develop him as a starter. I'm not sure what they're thinking on that's going to be, but I think the future is most likely in the pen. Well, it seems like, you know, it, it's funny. You, you read about these pitchers that, that the Orioles acquired, and they're just names on a, on a, on a screen, right? And then yeah. I hear you talk about them, and it seems like each one of these pitchers has something that provides a lot of upside and something that they can potentially project out to a big league role at one point or another. So it's nice to hear about these pitches and see that the Orioles didn't trade Dylan Bundy for a bag of balls and a couple of pieces of gum. You know what I mean? So certainly appreciate you talking about those guys and kind of opening some eyes to our fans and followers who want to know what the Orioles were doing when they traded Bundy, and we kind of can see what was on their mind now. And I'm sure each one of these guys was somebody that Elias scouted in the past. He had his eye on the draft that he just didn't end up getting. So um, moving on, the Orioles, they took two players in the Rule 5 pick. Uh, last year they took two players, Richie Martin, Drew Jackson. Drew Jackson got sent back to the Dodgers uh, after only three big league bats last year. This year they take Brandon Bailey from the Astros, pitched exclusively a double-A last year, has a 330 ERA in 22 games and 17 starts. And then Michael Rucker they took from the Cubs. Uh, Rucker was an interesting pick because he made 26 starts at double-A in 2018, but then pitched almost entirely in relief in 2019 between double-A and triple-A, 418 ERA in 36 games, but he had a pretty subpar April. And from what I'm hearing, his velocity went up a good bit from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Yeah, so so Rucker is the guy. Um, you know, if anybody follows me on Twitter, you know, at Orioles Hangout, I I do a lot, you know, of, of Rule Five content. Um, and he's a guy that actually slipped my radar because um, I just I just never thought to look at him. Um, you know, he he didn't really raise any you know interesting flags to me. I I didn't know that it, the velocity was up. But once I went and looked at him, I see why they picked him. Um, he he has kind of a deceptive delivery. He gets his arm cocked really early in his delivery, so it's kind of like a, a slinging motion. It's it's weird, but it works, and it's not a ton of effort there. Um, and at at his best, late in the season, he was sitting 93, 95, touching 97. Um, he's got that vertical spin axis on his fastball. It gives it gives him some ride, even though the release is a little bit inconsistent. Um, the 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 best pitch he has is his curveball. Uh, so again, we're talking about guys with something that can change eye levels. I mean, that's a big common theme in all these pitchers that were selected. You know, they they have a pitch that has you know vertical action. They have a pitch that has a drop. So um, 
Yeah, his best pitch is a curveball. Um, it's 80 to 84 miles per hour. It's got, a, you know, an, a near 12 to 6 shape. He also has a slider that he just started developing. It wasn't really a pitch he used a lot in the past. And he's got a, he throws a split change as well. And the split change is something that's, that's really interesting to me regarding Michael Rucker because Holt has definitely shown that he can work with guys on their changeup. Um, outside, of, outside of means, you have a guy like, um, you know, Mike Ballman improved his changeup. Um, Cody Sedlock improved his changeup. There's a number of guys throughout the system that improved their changeup over the past year. So his split change looks really good. I mean, it has, it has, a, it has a big gap in velocity between his fastball and his changeup, and it has kind of nasty um, arm side drop, um, fade and tumble. But for and and I have I haven't been able to figure out exactly why, but hitters see it coming. They they it doesn't fool them. They they lay off it when it's out of the zone. And they they know where it's going to be when it's in the zone. So it it lacks some deception for some reason. So maybe he needs to throw it a little harder. Maybe the arm speeds a little bit off. But that's something that maybe you could look for as a potential for for uh, for improvement there. Um, you talked about how his velocity ticked up. You know, early in the year he was mostly in the low 90s, and then after the All Star break, it it increased. And along with it, he had a 2.68 ERA after the All-Star break. So, so he was pretty, pretty darn good down the stretch. Um, and he's a guy that will give you multiple innings. He actually looks like a starter to me. Um, I don't know if his velocity will hold as a starter um, well enough that you can have him compete for that job in camp. But he has a lot of starter traits. He, he can, he can throw his off speed pitches or strikes. He can move the fastball around a little bit. Um, what he has that a lot of the guys that are maybe more talked about in the rule five draft um, is, is he has, you know, his command is probably ready for a major league shot. Whereas a lot of the guys that are available, their strike throwing ability and their command is not there yet. Right, and that's what you see with a lot of these Rule 5 picks and knock on them is that they throw hard but not with a lot of command. Their walks are up, walking like 74 guys in 90 innings I see every now and again. and um, So it's, it's nice to see the Reals pick up somebody who doesn't have the command issues, and I noticed that too in reading up about him. So that's good to see. Now, I know it's only December, so it's hard to project the roster, but does this guy have a legitimate shot to stay with the club all season, or is he going to be another one of these guys? I mean, we look, we've seen the Orioles in 2018, they took three guys in the, in the Rule 5 draft. In 2019, they took two guys uh, for the 2019 season, excuse me, and now for the 2020 season, they've taken two guys. Does he have a legitimate shot to, to stick on the roster? Um, he's, need, he's going to need to make some improvements to who he was in 2019 mm-hmm. to stick. Um, it's just the... The, the the stuff right now is 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 not really quite as good as you would expect from a middle reliever and to you know he pitched only a couple innings and and triple a so to to make that kind of jump without the triple a experience and to have you know mediocre middle reliever stuff is is going to be questionable now if he can come out and throw as hard as he did at the end of the year and and maybe either improve his his changeup or get a little bit more separation between his curveball and his slider, so those pitches play better. Um, because right now they are a little bit too similar, in my opinion, and in, in both velocity range and movement. So if if they can tweak him to improve his repertoire a little bit, I I think he can start. And I I I wouldn't be surprised if they let him try out for a role in the in the. Uh, at the back of the rotation. Well, yeah, there's um, certainly so, innings to go around in spring training, considering they have three candidates right now. But I'm sorry to interrupt you. Continue. Yeah, no. Yeah, there's right now, I mean, we'll have to see how many arms they bring in to compete for a rotation spot. Like, um, I think I think Rucker, as well as Brandon Bailey, 
um, who we'll talk about in a second, are both best fits as as multi-inning, once-through-an-order type pitchers. Like if you wanted to go towards an opener, um, they all both of them have you know a pretty deep repertoire of pitches. Uh, both of them can you know throw strikes a little bit, and but they don't have the type of dominant stuff that's going to play multiple times through an order. So I think that's kind of the best role for them. I don't know if the Orioles are going to go that way, um, or if they're going to try to stretch both of them out and see if they can start. Um, it'll be interesting to watch. Well, certainly. And you look at, you know, these guys, if the Orioles want to hang on to them, they have to stay on the major league roster all year. And like we said, with, with trading Dylan Bundy, there's now three rotation spots locked down by Alex Cobb, John Means, and Ashley Wojciechowski. You have to imagine Wojciechowski is firmly entrenched in that rotation now. I think that by default, Brandon Bailey, if he even has a middling spring, is going to have a shot at that rotation on opening day. Not to be the opening day starter, but to be a member of that rotation because they just don't have anybody else. Yeah, I mean, look, looking at Bailey, um, just to give you a rundown of before I go into whether he should start or relieve or whatever, um, a rundown of what he throws. Um, his fastball is, you know, kind of can be fringy at times. It's, you know, as low as 88. Um, I've, see, I've seen him run up to 96, but someone in that low 90s area. Um, he's got his big, his big thing is he's, he's a spin monster. Like he's got crazy high spin rates. Um, his fastball would be one of the, the top fastballs in the major leagues by spin per mile per hour, which people refer to as Bauer units after Trevor Bauer, who popularized talking about it. Um, but that gives you an idea of how much vertical life, you know, if, if you have a vertical spin axis on the fastball, which he does, or, you know, near vertical, but um, how much vertical rise that pitch is going to get. And he would be up in the top five, 10 of the league uh, in the majors in, in that, in that metric. So he's got a fastball with a lot of riding life. Um, all his pitches miss bats. He has five pitches, fastball, uh, cutter, slider, um, curveball, and changeup. All of them missed pitches. He had one of the higher swing strike rates in all the minors in 2019 at 15.4%. Um, so he he's going to miss bats. That's not going to be a problem for him. Uh, he his best secondary pitch is his changeup. You know we were talking about changeups earlier. His changeup is 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 very good. It's a plus changeup. Um, and he probably could use it a lot more than he did in 2019, but because they're developing, the Astros were developing him as a starter or a multi-inning guy, you know, his, his usage of that pitch was not super high as he worked on the other pitches in his arsenal, but it's his best weapon against left-handers and it's his best weapon against right-handers. So, you know, usually you see, the changeup being utilized against opposite-handed batters, whereas Bailey's is good enough that he uses it against same-handed batters, and it's it's you know almost equally effective. So that two-pitch mix, um, and the fact that out of a bullpen, he he's probably going to you know sit in the mid 90s with that plus changeup. That's a real good relief look if it doesn't work out in in a rotation. Um, because he is—he's a smaller guy. He's, I think, five nine or five ten, um, and he does have strug- struggles holding his stuff through long outings. If you, if you look through his uh, his his season, he didn't pitch a ton of innings. You know, you didn't see him going seven or eight innings often, if at all. Not that pitchers need to do that these days, but when you know your longest outings of the year are five, maybe six innings. Um, you know, your best outings, um, that, that can be a little bit concerning. Uh, so he looks less like a starter to me, even though he's worked more as a starter than Rucker. He looks less like a starter long-term. He looks more like an opener or a, a relief arm. If he is going to start, he's going to need his curveball to get better. 
Um, he has great movement on his curveball. It has that that twelve near twelve six downer action that I've been talking about mm-hmm. that the Orioles like. But he's had a lot of struggle. I watched four or five of his starts from 2019, and he just he just doesn't throw the pitch competitively enough. Like it, it'll be a waste pitch. He'll leave it up out of the zone. He'll he'll bounce it a foot in front of the plate. You know, if he threw that pitch competitively or could land it for strikes, not only would it help his fastball play up, but it would give him another out pitch. So, um, you know, if if he ends up being a starter or, you know, a multi-inning reliever, that's something to look for as far as his development. Well, certainly, you know, if, if you're seeing that, I'm sure the Orioles are seeing that too. And hopefully that's something that they can work on with him in the offseason and in spring training. You know, like like we said, there's plenty of innings to go around in spring training. And, you know, the Orioles, they want to have eight candidates for that rotation. You know, if Mike Elias and Brent I have their druthers, they want eight rotation candidates. So I think that he'll be firmly in the mix for it. Like you said, he might end up being an opener, maybe a middle reliever to, or a swingman. Um, that remains to be seen, but certainly some intriguing aspects to both of these guys taking the Rule 5 draft. We'll see if they can stick on the Orioles roster. Again, we'll know more about that come February, come March. Until then, Luke, really appreciate you coming on the show, man. Sorry that we have to maybe cut it short here a little bit. We've just about hit our time frame here. Uh, before we get going, where can, uh, where can our listeners fi- uh, find you on social media and online? You can, you can find me on Twitter at the Luke Siler, um, S-I-L-E-R, and uh, and online, I, I write for orioleshangout.com. Um, so you'll see my articles on the front page there. And you'll also, if you peruse the forums and message boards, I also post there. And, you know, there will be some tidbits I write about that, you know, maybe don't show up on Twitter or, or in articles. So, so that's where you can find me. Well, folks, he's definitely a great follow, a great read. I, de- I read some of your stuff leading up to the Rule 5 draft, and you really get in-depth. And I think it's obvious based on, you know, the, the time you've been on the show today, how in-depth you get with these players. So I couldn't have asked for a better guest to break down the, the prospects that the Orioles just got in the last couple of weeks. Luke, thanks again so much for coming on the show. Hopefully we get you when we get back to doing our prospect report here in the next season. I hope we can get you back on the show. Until then, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you, Paul. I enjoyed it. All right, man. You have a great day. We'll talk soon. And that's going to do it for us here on the Payoff Pitch. Thanks for tuning in. I know today is a little bit longer of a show, but really glad that we could have had Luke on the show because we learned a lot about the players that the Orioles just acquired. And these are guys who, before today, we weren't sure what to make of them, and now these are all guys that you could potentially see as having a role, you know, maybe not this year or next year but for a lot of them, but in the future and to be a part of when this rebuild comes to fruition. So thanks for tuning into the payoff pitch. We'll be back here in about another month. Uh, after that, probably one more off-season show. And then starting, you know, late February, early March, we should get back here once a week talking about some Orioles baseball. We have 99 days until opening day, so it's coming up sooner than you think. Thanks for hanging in there with us today. We'll talk to you in a month. Until then, as always, go O's.